When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hola, I'm Joe Group. You're listening to Sorry Partner. Hello and welcome to Sorry Partner, a weekly podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with American champion Joe Crew about managing different partnership styles, ritual, superstition and the wisdom that comes with experience. Plus, he shares his top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, partner. Hi, Catherine. How are you? Jocelyn, I'm terrific. How are you? I'm fine. But what was the deal last night with those people who were, like, chastising us online where they were saying, tempo? And we ended up finishing. We had, like, eight minutes left in the round. Oh, I know. I know. I think they were pissed because we bit our slam on the first board that we... we played against them. And it was one of those really lovely auctions that you opened four spades and then I said six spades and we made it. And I don't know that many other people were in it. I think they weren't happy. And then the auction on the next board was one of those ones where you had to explain the bids. And so, you know, there was a natural disruption of tempo because we were both writing in what the bids mean. Right. But it wasn't like we were being ridiculous with the tempo. And I just feel like it's one of those situations you have got to say, I'm not going to let this bother me. Yeah. They can go and say tempo and complain about your tempo. But honestly, we were done with the match with like eight minutes to go. I know. I know. I know. But also, too, I mean, there was no issue with the tempo because we had to write down the meaning of the bids. So I don't know what they really wanted yeah. us to do. They were just pissed. <laughs> they were just pissed. They were just pissed off. <laughs> yeah, but I was thinking about tempo and it reminded me of an incident in a game that you and I played 
ages ago. It was actually it was actually the famous day when we were trying to get my silver points for me to become life master. <laughs> <laughs> and we had just played one game and I still needed to scratch in another game to make it. So we needed to finish this game and be able to then get online and find another game to play before because we were coming up to the end of that silver oh, points weekend. Right. And um it was so funny because we were we were trying to I don't know that we were writing tempo, but we were trying to get these people to play a little faster. <laughs> and do you remember this? Anyway, and then one of them wrote up in the in the lobby chat, oh, we can relax now because we've got 11 minutes to play the hand. And then I wrote back and said that I had to collect my kids from school and that it'd be really great. <laughs> finish quickly and so they played really fast for us which was so nice but of course that was just such an absolute lie absolute lie (laughs) I used my phantom children your phantom children and we were going and invading these clubs I know so that we could get you your silver points we were going and like befriending (laughs) all these directors I know hi we want to play in your game today would you please (laughs) let us (laughs) you'll never see us again (laughs) but we just want to come in and get some silver points yeah 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 please hurry please hurry tempo I felt so I felt so rotten because I knew I was just completely yeah. playing on the goodwill of decent human being. Well, we're just rotten to the core. That is true. <laughs> Sometimes you've got to pick up the pace. What can I say? Yeah. And they could have told you to go shove it. <laughs> <laughs> they were nice. They were nice. So thank you. Nice yeah. people out there. Thank you. Thank you. You did get your silver points. Right? I did. I did. Yeah, then yeah, maybe yeah. we need to sort of, you know, next time we get pissed because someone's writing to us about tempo, we need to employ the swings and roundabouts analysis. Yes. What goes around comes around. Yeah. Yeah. The golden rule. The golden rule. Yes. And we'll be right back. So, Jocelyn, a lot of podcasts would probably have some kind of endorsement or advertising at this spot. Yes. Not us. Not us. Not us. (laughs) But we'd love to have some support because it's the two of us toiling away in the dark caves of our office, bringing this merriment to you week after week. (laughs) We've had some great letters from people and we know people are enjoying the show, but really it would be so helpful if people could donate. So how do people become part of the team? Well, the best way is through our Patreon page. It's really easy. If you Google Sorry Partner Podcast Patreon, and that's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N, you will find the link or you can find the link in our show notes. And where are the show notes? So the show notes are the details about the episode. If you are listening on your phone or your tablet Mm -hmm. or in an app, you just click on the episode and you scroll down and you see more information about the show, as well as the links, including the support this show. Fantastic. And the website is shows.acast.com slash sorry hyphen partner. So we hope to hear from you and then we'll be able to say support for sorry partner comes from listeners like you. And we're back. So, Jocelyn, we've had some letters in the mail back. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Yay. Would you like me to read them to you? Of course. 
<laughs> I always want you to read me the letters. I love the letters. <laughs> All right. Well, our first letter is from Jim, and he is from Illinois, and he has a funny story about bridge and the results of a concussion that got him back into playing bridge after a long hiatus. He'd learned to play bridge in college and then hadn't played for 45 years. He says, my college partner Dave and I are still friends. In 2015, for our annual ski trip, I was unable to ski because of a concussion. We did the trip anyway, and one morning while perusing the local paper, Dave noticed that there was a duplicate bridge game in town and said we should go and play. I said, are you out of your mind? (laughs) (laughs) Not only because I hadn't played in 45 years, he says, but because I can't think straight because I have my concussion. (laughs) Maybe it knocked knocked things sort of into alignment. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, maybe. Well, Dave said, no, it'll be fun. And I said, we'll finish dead last. Needless to say, he talked me into it and off we went. So we went to the club and registered and had the following conversation where the director said, how many points do you guys have? And we said, points, what are points? We don't have any points. We haven't played in 45 years. The director then rolled their eyes and said, do you know how to work a bridge mate? And we said, what's a bridge mate? (laughs) (laughs) And then the director said, go and sit at 10 West. So off we went. It was all very intimidating. We even had to ask how to put the cards back in the bidding box after the auction. We muddled our way through and we were the last ones to finish up. We were sitting at the table by ourselves, waiting for confirmation that we'd finished dead last when the director walked up and said, well, you guys better hurry up and join the ACBL because you finished second for 2.1 master points. Hey! Although we did not immediately join the ACBL or start to visit the bridge clubs, we did start playing again and have resumed our bridge addiction and we still laugh about that to this day. Oh, Jim, that's fabulous. That is so great. What a wonderful story. That's so cool. And they still had it. And it sounds like the concussion did not not have any ill effects on his game. No ill effects at all. Thank goodness. That's so great, Jim. So great. Enjoy. Yes. And so nice to be able to play with with an old friend, as I well know. Yes. That's the best. (laughs) It is. It's the best. And I've got another letter for you, also about friendship. Oh, that's so nice. This is from Reva in West Hartford, Connecticut. She says, hello, Catherine and Jocelyn. Thank you so much for creating this podcast. It is all a talk around the Bridge Club and greatly enjoyed by all. Oh, thanks, Reva. So nice. Yes. She says, here is the story of my bridge partner, Sharon and me. It's mostly a story of bridge, but also a story of friendship. Our bridge adventure began in 2013. I know this because Sharon gave me a membership to the ACBL for a birthday gift that year. This fact is also noted on the ACBL login page, so I can state it with confidence. (laughs) We started taking lessons with two pairs of friends at one of our homes, and we took lessons and we took lessons. Meanwhile, our teacher kept saying, you've got to go and play. He also said there's a tournament you should go to. It's fun. Finally, after about six months, we screwed up the courage and decided to go and play in a supervised game. Sharon picked me up and quivering, we drove to the bridge club, parked and clutching each other in terror. We walked in and played (laughs) supervised bridge for a few weeks. That was going pretty well. We were adept at knowing when we hadn't a clue 
and raising our hands for the director to come by and give us some bidding guidance. Finally, we had to accept that the next logical step was to play in a real game, right? So one of the teachers from our supervisors running it, what could go wrong? In we walked. There must have been about 30 to 40 tables. We paid our fees. As we sat down at the first table, I turned to the right-hand opponent and said, Hi, this is our first open game, so please forgive us if we make any bridge etiquette mistakes. He looked at me and I saw this odd look come across his face. A split second later and he bid three hearts. I had no idea what to do, so I passed. And then I kept following that advice on every hand. If you don't know what to do, just pass. Well, midway through the tournament, the director came by and said, keep up the good work, girls. So I kept introducing ourselves, explaining our lack of experience and mostly passed. I'm sure we confused, misdirected, frustrated or over-emboldened all of our opponents. But in the end of that day, we got our first points. Yay! Oh, that's great. Fabulous. We have continued to play through all the ups and downs. I swear she fired me after I passed one spade doubled redoubled, but she denies it. Maybe I'm wrong since we do play on through the good times and the pandemics and this is our story. It's mainly about bridge, but it's also about so many other things. Don't you agree? Oh, absolutely. Well, good on you because you held your own. And you know what? Everybody had a first game at a club and did not know what they were doing. And remember, we we even had champions who talked about their first game. And if they had been closer to the door, they would have run out screaming. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Heather Dondi would have run away and never come back, except for she was a bit too far away from the door. So, I mean, everybody has had to go through it. It is a rite of passage. And it's wonderful that you get to do it with your dear friend. And I love playing with my dear friend. (laughs) As do I. So if you have a good story about your first time at the club or a friendship that survived the first time at the club, please send it in. We're at sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram, or you can leave us a voice message. These links and a link to our merch store are under the episode descriptions in your app or on the website, or wherever you like to listen. Coming up next, our interview with Joe Grew. American champion Joe Grew is a world grandmaster. His bridge accomplishments include the Bermuda Bowl, the Risinger, the Spin Gold, the Vanderbilt, the Blue Ribbon Pairs, and the Buffett Cup. When he's not playing bridge, you can find him on the golf course or enjoying a meal at a restaurant with his friends. We began by asking if he'd had any interesting hands lately. Yeah, I, I did, and it's not going to be a good hand. It's, it's a bad hand. It was an eye-level event, and I don't know, anybody can relate to when the dummy comes down and you're in no trump, or the opponents are defending no trump, how often, once in a while, people forget that the contract is, they think it's spades because spades are always on the right, or whatever suit is on the right and dummy, they sometimes forget and, and then trump in with, the, with that suit. Well, I was declaring seven hearts in one of the most prestigious events, you know, there is in the world. And uh, we had Brad and I had a long relay auction and he had eight hearts. So it's weird for me to be declaring. I had stiff ace and I'm in seven hearts and I'm declaring the dummy comes down. And I, I'm just, I think for a long time, because all I have to do is cash my ace of hearts and get to the dummy. So I'm thinking, OK, can I cross to that ace of clubs on dummy 
or what if they rough that, or is it safer to do this? And eventually I, I play, I don't cross the ace of clubs. I, I, I lay down an ace and, and, I, and I say, I'm going to trump that. And I claim, I say, I'm going to trump that and pull trumps. And the opponent said, that, that'd be great if you were in seven hearts. You're, <laughs> you're in seven, no trump. And I said, touche, okay. Wow. <laughs> what yeah. did Brad say? Brad was, Brad was a champ. He, uh, he said, don't sweat it, don't sweat it. Because we were playing really well. We played really well for like a year and a half before. We're winning every event. We were clearly, you know, he was, he was being a really good partner, as he should be at the table. If he wants to yell at me later, that's fine. But uh, yeah, I mean, we, we actually reacted to it really well. The rest of our set went incredibly well. Neither one of us did anything stupid. Like, that's the hardest thing when you have a really bad board or actually a really good board. The next board, you're like still thinking about that board before. Like, usually it's when you have a bad board. You're like still thinking about the next hand. So being able to like move on from that is like a really hard thing to do. Now, we did move on for it. We had a great set the rest of the set, but we did lose the match. But at least at least we didn't like lose the match because we fell apart after that. So It's tough, though. Really tough not to dwell. What kinds of things do you do to to not dwell and torture yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm not always so good at it, but but I've gotten better at it, and almost everybody struggles with it. When you do something so stupid, or usually what it is, my old partner used to tell me, whenever I yell at him, it's always because I did something wrong. And he's almost always right. If he did something wrong, I hold it in, and if I yell at him, it won't be like in front of other people. But if I snap at the table, it's almost always because I did something stupid, you know? Yeah, I think I can relate. (laughs) Yeah. What do you love most about Bridge? So what I love most about Bridge is it's like a never-ending process. No no matter what level player you are, you could be a beginner, an intermediate, a top expert, whatever it is, you're always, you always have to keep on trying to learn and get better. Otherwise, it's just the game, the game will pass you by too fast. I love that that every time I play Bridge, something different happens. No matter how good I think I get, I know I can always be better. That's like Jeff Mextraff told me that. It's like, it doesn't matter how good you are. If you don't keep on trying to get better, it just ain't going to happen. You know, Bridge is like got so many things going on at one time. But what I use in Bridge the most is logic. Like when somebody says, what makes you a good Bridge player? It must be math and this and that. And I'm like, no, you know, it's logic. The smart people figure out what the math play is. And then I just remember that. I don't actually do the math. (laughs) I just know approximately what the math plays are. But using logic, like, okay, your opponent thinks for a couple seconds and plays a card or thinks for a couple seconds and, and responds a heart or a couple seconds and like doesn't bid. So la- I'm going to remember that later in the hand and I'm going to think, well, if, if they had nothing to think about, then they would have they done it in, in perfect tempo. But when they actually think, they're, they're thinking about something. So it's kind of, I like to get in the mind of the opponent. So that, that's like a thing like, that's the kind of poker element, like in poker, but in poker, you can, you can lie a- about your thinking. So you can think for no reason just to disrupt the, the opponents. You're not allowed to do that in bridge. Now, I understand people are trying, a beginner player or an intermediate player, they might think about something that I would, I would obviously not have to think about, but I have to realize that there's a risk to, t- you know, to playing a little poker at the bridge table. Like, I understand some people don't, you know, it's a hard, it's a hard game. It's hard for them to realize what to do, so they just need to take a second and think. So. You must still be smarting from the board that Jocelyn and I took from you. A couple of years ago, <laughs> did we play? Did, did, did we play? Did we play online? We played in uh, person. Really registered. <laughs> we played in person, and we what? we took a board from you, and we have not shut up about it since. <laughs> Wait a minute! Did you take a board from me, and did did you tell me who you were? This was pre podcast. Ah, uh, okay, okay, okay. So we're talking like an honors or something. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. 
Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Hey, listen, I'm always happy for my for my opponents when they do well. If they do something good and get a good board, I'm always happy. So we have no idea if we did anything good. It was no, possibly exactly. it just matter. a fix, but we did <laughs> yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, the same thing. It's like my partners often, almost always, it's somebody hiring me to play bridge, but they could be like, oh, you know, oh, why did we get a bad board? I'm like, just be happy for them. If they get a bad board nine out of 10 times against us and they get a good board one out of 10, at least I could tell them, good job. You know, it's not easy to do well against the best players. So, well, this is true. We did console you for a while, but it seems you've bounced back. Yeah, I bounced back, yeah. <laughs> we were worried. <laughs> I have long-term memory loss, so once once we get past a few weeks, I'm good. What techniques do you use to continue to improve your game to get better? Well, it's mostly for me at a high level playing with Brad Brad Moss, my regular partner. It's all about partnership. So it's all about us knowing what the other one's thinking in a certain situation. So not thinking, but like if an auction comes up and neither one of us have ever discussed it with each other, we probably know what the other one would think we should play. If something's come up and I'm, and I only make a bid that we've never done, we've never discussed, Brad's very likely to know what I think it should be or what I think we would think it should be. So like stuff like that, it, that, that that's how you really get further in a partnership. All these top, top pairs have like a huge set of system notes. They think they have all the answers. The reality is there's so many things that come up. Bridge is so different now than it was 10 years ago or even 20 years ago. 20 years ago, when somebody opened one no trump, the opponents just basically didn't bid. But nowadays, everybody's taught a system to play over one no trump. Even if you're just a beginner player, once you're taught like some system, Capaletti, Mechwell, something, you're going to bid. You like you might bid on a hand that you shouldn't bid on, but they bid all the time. Whereas when I started playing Bridge about 27 years ago, people did not bid over one no trump. So like the game is just so competitive and, and think you're just going to come across things that you've never discussed. In terms of hands where new things come up in the bidding, these would be typically competitive, contested yeah, auctions. exactly. And whether, I don't know, a bid or a double or a new suit or whatever, what it means. And, and that still comes up. That new yeah, it still comes still up. Come I up. mean, the main thing is, and it goes back to like when I, I was making just an easy analogy to like when somebody opens a no trump, they don't bid. Well, people now overcall at the one and two level, just like I overcall. When they open a spade, I'll bid two clubs with king, queen, six, the clubs, and maybe nothing else. People just bid so much. People, I'm the extreme, obviously, but people overcall. So you rarely just, it doesn't really make sense if you, if you have a partnership with somebody, and let's say you wanted to practice. It doesn't make sense to practice uncontested auctions. Just you and your partner back and forth. Because it doesn't happen very often. It just doesn't happen. It, it, it does sometimes, but like that's not where the money's at. The money's at, at at knowing what to do when the auction gets competitive. Having good agreements, not just knowing what you're playing with your partner, but like having effective agreements. So do you have sort of a set of principles that you are both aligned on? Or is it more something that's just sort of you've built up from the ground up? Yeah, it's it, it's experience. But at the same time, I'll credit Brad to... And it's annoying most of the time to me, like when a hand's over or like when the set's over, he'll be like, okay, what do we have to talk about? We've just played 15 boards and I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to go to my room, you know, like, <laughs> but, but he just wants to be, he wants to go over whatever hands. I think when we first started playing bridge together, he says, okay, for the first two years, we're going to go over, over every board we play together every night. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. And he goes, no, 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 you have to do it. And I said, okay, I think we went over like seven boards because I don't like doing that, but he's, he's right in a sense. He just wanted to know what I thought about every board, every card that was played, every bid that was made. He just wanted to know that. That's all he wanted. And he's totally right, you know, especially when you're starting a partnership with somebody, knowing what they think on the, even if it's a totally innocuous hand, 
the opponents are bidding, whatever. Okay, what do you think about my lead? What what, what inferences do you think, you know, whatever. Why don't you like it? Well, because I like to play bridge. I don't like to read notes. I don't like to study. I'm not a school person. I don't, I don't want to do that aspect of it. I, I do like the fact, like what comes from it, I like, I guess, but, but that's just not my thing. I just like to play. I think you get better by... Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. In terms of the defense, do you have really clear understanding of your defensive system with Brad and your other partners? I mean, sure, like you should go over what kind of carding you play. It doesn't really matter. You could play standard carding. You could play upside down. You know, you can play all kinds of things in your carding. But all that really matters is that you guys each know what you're doing. That's really that's really the important thing. You know, you know your style. Like, are you an aggressive leader? Are you a conservative leader? You know, like things like that. If you, if you know this thing, it makes it easier when your partner makes an opening lead. What play you're going to make or what cards you're going to save. What's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you when you've been playing bridge? So I was in Paris with my best friend, Justin Lowell. It was about a week before the World Championships in Veldhoven in 2011. Uh, we were playing the Bermuda Bowl, and we were like pretty young guys, and we wanted to get over the jet lag, so we spent a week there. He got really sick and was just sitting in the hotel room, and I went to a bistro and whatever, a pub or restaurant on the corner in Paris. And I remember two young girls come over, and I'm sitting outside. Probably I was a smoker at the time and having a beer and having lunch. And they came over looking for directions somewhere. And I said, sorry, I, you know, I'm not, I don't speak French and I don't know what I'm doing here. And five minutes go by and two other people come by and they have very similar and, and I can't help them at all. So I go by, maybe 10 minutes go by and somebody comes over to me and says, him and his girlfriend come over and say, hi, you're Joe Gru. And I say, sorry, sorry, uh, I don't speak, and I don't speak Espanol. And, and I got it wrong. You know, obviously I said the wrong language that I don't speak. And he says, no, I said, you're Joe Gru. And, and, and he was, he was a Polish guy visiting his French girlfriend. He goes, why are you in Paris right now? I'm like, well, I'm going to go to the world championships. He goes, yeah, you should be in, in the Netherlands. I, anyway, like it's, it's a cute story. Like, I don't know why people went over to me to ask for directions when they're in Paris, but I was so <laughs> used to like, I don't speak your language. I, I, I can get by, but right. And then they actually hit it right on. 
<laughs> it's probably maybe because you were smoking. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. I'm sitting outside. I mean, I, yeah, well, smoking, drinking, yes. I, I definitely look native, I guess, for that. But I mean, man. During the day. Yeah. So what would Brad Moss or another regular partner say is your greatest strength as a bridge player and partner? I would say, like, I'm definitely one of the best card players in the world. And it's like declare play. I'm probably not so much defense. I would say Brad's one of the best defenders in the world. I'm I'm one of the best declarers in the world. But uh, also just having a, a good understanding of what's happening at the table. So when I say like reading the table, I don't mean like actually reading people. But, but when somebody thinks for just even a half a second or two seconds at a high level, people make plays in perfect tempo most of the time at a high level. And so like if they don't, I, I pick up on it type thing. And you, but from there, you have to figure out what they're, what the, what they're actually considering. What, what could their other options actually be other than just a normal, a normal situation? But definitely card play. What might Brad or another regular partner of yours say is perhaps a area that is less strong? Well, before it would definitely be bidding. And sometimes I steam a little bit too much. I get too hot. I get mad when I get a bad result. But I think I've gotten a lot better at that. But I would say, I mean, I mean, everybody needs to get better at everything. But I would say, I would say my card play is significantly better than my bidding. And my bidding is really good. But it, it's much better now than it was 10 years ago. Let's put it that way. So what has changed over the last 10 years? Well, my age starts with a, a four instead of a two or a three. Like I've gotten older, wiser, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I'm not an old person, but I mean, like I, I've just, I've been, when you've been playing bridge for so long, eventually just you, you, be, you become more mature than maybe your age would be typically. Like if I've been playing bridge for 27 years and compare that to the other people who've been playing bridge for 27 years, and I played like, I probably played more hands than anybody else in the world every single year for a bunch of years in a row. So it's not just I'm old and I've been playing bridge for so long, but I played more hands every year than everybody else. So I have a, a lot more experience at bridge than almost everybody that's anywhere close to my age. Obviously, Jeff Maxdroff, I mean, he's played more bridge than anybody. He played all the tournaments and all that, but like, you know. Is there a particular area of your game that you've noticed has improved? Obviously, as you, you've gotten older, you've gotten wiser more experienced, but is there a particular thing that you can look back and say, this aspect of my game has really changed in the last 10 years? Yeah. Okay. So this is actually an easy one for me. I would say I always try and have now what my partner thinks I would have. That doesn't mean that whatever, I, whatever I'm doing makes sense to the normal person. I'm extremely aggressive in so many different ways. And I'm also extremely conservative in so many different ways. So my preempting style when I'm vulnerable or even maybe even non-vulnerable times, my preempting style is very conservative. So if I'm going to be very aggressive when I'm preempting, my partner doesn't know that. So I try not to do that. Okay. If I'm going to be an extremely aggressive overcaller, which I am at the two level, like they open a spade, I'll overcall two clubs or two diamonds. You know, maybe not when they open a week two bid or something, but when they've opened a one level thing, I'll overcall a heart with like, I'll overcall two clubs over, over a diamond with nothing. When I say nothing, like just not a very good hand, like six, seven points, whatever. My partner's going to play me and he's not going to play me to have nothing when I overcall, but he's going to keep in the back of his mind that it's possible. So I guess the biggest thing is I, I always try to have what my partner thinks that I might have. Love it. So, well, tell us, what's your earliest memory of playing bridge? Uh, earliest member, I took the club series. It's like a, there's a club diamond heart spade, maybe something like that. ACBL, Audrey Grant, yep. 
Yeah, I took the club series for like one or two lessons at the bridge club. And I was like 13 or something. Maybe I was 14. And uh, I, I, well, basically I was a caddy at the Nationals in Minnesota, which is where I grew up. And I never played bridge, but I was happy to get out of, out of school for five days, Monday to Friday. And I caddied for 10 straight days or whatever, or nine straight days. And they asked us at some point, do any of you play bridge or would you consider playing bridge? The bulletin editor. And we all were like, whatever. Basically, no. I got me and my friends. We got out of school. We were happy. But after that tournament, I realized, hey, maybe I'll play bridge. And my parents taught me. My mom's like a high school teacher, but they're both they're both excellent bridge players. And, and my mom's a great teacher. And like I asked them to teach me and they taught me. So I'm, I'm like the only sibling in my family that was taught how to play bridge. But I had to ask to do it, which is not a bad way. It's better than parents forcing their kids to play bridge pretty much. Who's the most interesting person that you've been in a tournament with, an opponent, someone else at the table, someone at another table? Well, I mean, as like a partner, I would say like Justin Lowell. But, you know, whatever, that's kind of is what it is. No, tell people. Well, Justin was an amazing guy. He was he was like one of the best poker players I've ever seen, one of the best bridge players I've ever seen. He had bipolar. He suffered from it. And, you know, he, he wanted to live his life the way he wanted. And and his life is over now. He was one of my best friends. He was one of Brad's best friends, uh, yeah. the greatest guy ever. I, he had times where he wouldn't speak to me because, you know, because of what he was going through and like just things, you know, we, we had tough times and and great times. Um, mm. Well, I'm sorry for your loss. Yeah, just, just, Justin was great. Thank you. Uh, Justin was great. But as an opponent on a totally different, Roy Welland and Sabine Aachen, they're super competitive. They were my teammates. I won a spingled with them in 2016. There's nothing more fun than playing against somebody that's really hard to play against, especially if you can do well against them, which I don't normally do well against them. And they're also a lot of fun to go to dinner with, <laughs> which is also important. What's the strangest or most unusual place that you've played bridge? Well, okay, that's easy. Okay, so pre-pandemic, I can never imagine myself playing bridge on a computer because playing bridge on a computer isn't bridge to me. Maybe it's becoming bridge now, like iPads. They're even having the team trials. You sit in a room with your opponent with no decks of cards, and your partner and their your partner and their teammate are in another room, and that's how you that's how you decide who's going to represent the United States. That's what it was recently. So no decks of cards, and you play bridge like that. So I, I could never imagine that. So it's that, and, and when the pandemic came, at first I'm like BBO. I mean that that sucks, but okay, I guess I need to make some money. I'll play BBO. So basically, playing bridge at home on my computer in a semi serious or serious event is the strangest place I've ever played bridge. <laughs> yeah. You've talked about how you're able to really gather information from even the slightest break in tempo, even the smallest hesitation on the part of an mm -hmm. opponent. So playing on bridge, I imagine, maybe frustrates that, it's that side of your game. It's yeah. You can still get it. Okay. Interesting. There's an easy comparison. So poker players have the same thing in real life. In real life or online, you need to decide in poker whether your opponent is messing with you or being honest. Like most of the time, they're, they're just, they can't help it. They're, they're, they're thinking because they have to think or whatever. And same thing in bridge, but in bridge, it's illegal to think when you don't have to think. Like it's illegal to like think about what you have to play and then fall suit with your singleton, for example. Yeah. But in bridge, especially like it happens online. They're, it's called a timing tell. So like it takes them so long to do it. So sure, they could be in the bathroom, but more <laughs> often than not, they're actually thinking about what they want to what they want to bid or play you know it just it just is what it is and, and especially when you add a camera element into it mm. so you can see your opponent now at least you know they're thinking they're not just some somewhere else not looking at the computer or the 
you know, the mailman came or something. You know. <laughs> Definitely. How do you unwind after a tournament, one of these huge tournaments that you've played all over the world? Do you have a way that you like to unwind? Well, for me, my way is not necessarily how everybody else's way is, but I can just tell you what happens at the end of every Nationals is on Sunday night, all the Europeans and all the Americans and all the South Americans and wherever you are, it doesn't matter your age, but but typically it's people that I've known for a long time, anywhere from the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. It can be any age, come, but they set up, usually we get like a karaoke night, we rent out a bar, something like that, and we all go hang out. Not to say we don't drink and hang out during the week, but like that that would be how how we end every nationals. But for me, how do I unwind? I don't know. Typically, I'm so tired when I come come home from a tournament like that that I just want to sleep. How long do you sleep for? I sleep typically. I sleep typically eight hours, but I, I could easily sleep ten hours. I I no longer sleep more than ten hours, but eight <laughs> to ten hours is pretty darn good. I gotta wow. say. Wow. I just played three weeks in a row. I, I was in Hilton Head, South Carolina. I was in Barbados and I was in Palmetto, Florida, playing tournament, tournament, tournament. And I come home and I'm still tired and I've slept like 10 hours every night. I, I'm exhausted, you know, I'm, I'm exhausted right now. <laughs> so how would you fill your day while you're trying to bounce back? Well, I'd sleep until, you, I, I go to sleep pretty early. If I'm not at a tournament, that's why the Nationals moving to 10 and 3.30, which is what's going to happen starting the summer. 10 and 3.30, like a daytime schedule, like a lot of the regionals are. That's actually really nice because I'm going to have dinner, maybe a couple drinks and go to bed. But when you play Bridget 1 and 7, you're done at like midnight. That That's so not my schedule, but it still is the, it still was the schedule at the Nationals. And when I come home from that, it's like, I just want to sleep until whenever I can, wake up, go get coffee and just veg around the house all day. Maybe, maybe go for some long walks. The more I walk, the more I exercise, the better it is. We're very interested in your private life. <laughs> Fire away. I wonder if you can give us a window into how you might spend a day. Do you socialize with other bridge players? Who are your friends? What does a normal day look like for you when you're not playing? Yeah, I mean, I, I golf a lot. I, I, I love to golf. I, I typically bring my golf clubs everywhere I go. I play tennis. I, I would say I used to play tennis a lot. I probably only play like once a week when I'm at home, but but I bring my rackets and my I, I bring my rackets. I got my golf clubs in the corner and I got this great golf suitcase that my rackets can fit in the golf suitcase. So it's like, and when you're at the end of a tournament, you have dirty laundry, you just throw it in that be- in that thing, and I ship that <laughs> home. I usually put FedEx at home, so I don't have to carry it. But no, that's nice. But no, I I think I think playing sports and stuff like that is nice. I, I love to go to dinners. That's why I like living in New York City. With other bridge players? Typically, yeah. Like, I have uh, my friend in the city now. Everybody's moved to Florida now. I have a bunch of Romanian friends. Uh, Julian Rodru, Radu Nistor, and his wife, Raluca. I have my friend Sam Amor, John Hurd, one of my clients, Gillian Miniter. I go I go to dinner with her and her husband quite often. A lot, a lot of nice restaurants in New York City. I like to go to dinner. I like to eat. What's your favorite kind of food, or do you have one? I mean, if I had to pick a favorite, probably be sushi, I guess, but uh, I, I like all food. I like to eat. <laughs> What's your favorite tournament that you like to play? So this is two parts. So if you're going to make me pick a city, it's it's easy. I pick Biarritz, France. I mean, it's an amazing place to go. And there's two tournaments a year. So the summer one's obviously way better to go to. It's on a beach or whatever. It's not easy to get to. It's not cheap. And the hotels, are, everything's kind of expensive. But it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. I've been there maybe three or four times now. That's the best tournament I, I've gone to. But the tournaments that I look forward to playing are the Spingle, the Vanderbilt, the Reisinger, I guess now the, the Soloway knockout, the, the big national events, and any, any world championship. I'm like, 
anxious. I, I'm excited before I play one of those events. And, and that happens three or four times a year. So I look forward to those the most. I guess the U.S. team trials also. Do you have any superstitions that come into play when you're preparing for bridge? Yes. I'm very superstitious about being superstitious. <laughs> I'm not going to like wear the same underwear every day, but I played baseball my whole life. That's That was like my childhood sport that I was actually decent at. And like, yeah, it's a very superstitious sport. So, Well, how does it manifest? Okay, so... If I'm in the spin gold, let's say, and, and, and you know, we're doing okay, like I'll probably do everything about the same every morning. And in between sessions, I'll do everything about the same. So it doesn't mean I have to eat the same place, but I'm going to, you know, wake up, get my coffee, come back, shower. I'm going to do my routine. Whatever it is, it's going to be my routine. And once I've done that for a couple of days, it, it just becomes the routine until you lose or until you win. So, but I will say one thing that's kind of crazy. Every single time I have like a vision while I'm showering, that I'm going to lose a vision of like congratulating the other team. I always lose. So I try not to have that. I try not to like think too much when I'm in the shower. It happens. It's happened every single time. <laughs> if it happens, I'm losing. And this is before the match has started. So I try not to think about bridge when I'm in the shower. <laughs> do you have a favorite convention or gadget that you like to play? Yeah, I do. I like mixed rays. So everybody plays like an, everybody has an invitational hand with four trumps like 10, 11, 9 to 11, whatever. People play Bergen raises or they play whatever. They have a way to show, you know, old-fashioned bridge, one heart, three hearts, invitational, usually with four trumps or whatever. But I, I think the hand was seven to nine points, approximately. So you could have like a five or six count, a single 10, or a nine count, four triple three, something like that. Some hand that evaluates to about seven to nine, not quite invitational values. I think that's really valuable with four or five trumps. And it also comes up a lot more. So when you have the option, when you don't have room to have a weak raise and an invitational raise and a mixed raise, I would eliminate the weak raise and just make it a mixed raise. So if you're in a spot where you're like, oh, I, you know, you, whatever. Yeah, I, I just like a mixed raise. Can you give us an example of an auction where that would work? Sure. So like if the auction went a spade and the opponent's over called two hearts. So you have two options. You can bid three hearts showing three or more trumps and an invitational hand, 10 or more points. Or you can bid two spades, showing like six to nine points and three trumps, maybe four. Or you can jump to three spades. So now more uh, traditional bridge right now would be a spade, two hearts, three spades would be a weak jump raise, right? And three hearts would be a cubid showing invitational values. I would say get rid of the weak jump raise, make a spade, two hearts, three spades, or any auction. I just think jump raising partner should be about seven to nine points, and four trumps. Now, when you have a singleton, like I said, when you have distribution, you should always be adding points. So if you have a singleton or void and your partner's open the bidding in a suit that you have a fit for, especially a four-card fit, you have a singleton, you should add two points to your hand. You have a void, maybe add three points, whatever. But once you've found a fit, you can start adding points for shortness and distribution. But if you haven't found a fit, you shouldn't do that. You should just literally count your high-card points and go from there. But I think just generally going with seven to nine approximately for a mixed raise, uh, you should make a mixed raise when, whenever you can, okay? And, you, and and if you think it's a little too good for a mixed raise, you can cube it. If you think it's not quite good enough for a mixed raise, but you're not sure, you can just raise partner to the two level, a spade, two hearts, two spades. And then later, maybe you'll compete to three spades. You know, you got six or seven points in four spades. What about conventions that you're less of a fan of or you think are a waste of time? For me, it's 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 control responses to a two-club opener. So this will like hit hard to my uh, my longtime teammates. They Mark Chip Martell, Hall of Famer, Marty Fleischer, likely Hall of Famer very soon. 
they've been my teammates. We've won a lot of events together, world championships, national events. They play control responses to two clubs. So basically what that means is if one of them opens two clubs, the other one, two diamonds, two hearts, two spades, two no, three clubs, all the responses are like a different level. Like the lower you bid, the least amount of controls. Control being an ace or a king. So like two diamonds, zero, one control, two hearts, this and that. You know, everything goes up. But the more, if you have so many control, it's good It's good with the two diamond, the two heart bid. But once you start bidding two no or three clubs, what if your partner just had like some freaky hand he, wa- he wants to open two clubs and show his suit. And then he wants to rebid his suit and he wants you to like cubid for him or something. He doesn't care that you have controls. You don't want to get in partner's way. That's my whole thing. When partner opens two clubs, they have a plan. If the most simplest thing and most common thing is they're going to rebid two no Trump, showing 22 to 23 or something like that, 22, 24. They're going to do that. Then it's easy. Then it's just like they've opened two no and you just know kind of how many points they have. But when they're going to rebid two of a major or three clubs or three diamonds, you don't want to get in their way. Like, you just don't. You want them to be able to make that bid. Now you know they're unbalanced and just have a, have like a normal auction. But to their credit, they've had a lot of success with, with it. But I think you need to be extremely experienced to play it. But otherwise, I think it's the worst convention in bridge. <laughs> what is the best bridge advice or tip that you've ever been given? All right. So two things. One is picture what's in the opponent's hands during the bidding. Picture what's in the opponent's hand after the bidding. Take time to reassess what you thought you knew because maybe that's changed. So like the bidding's happening. You, okay, you have an idea what the opponents have. You make an opening lead. So now you were the opening leader. Now you see the dummy. Take some time. I don't care if they all play. Take some time. Realize what everybody's done. And now try look at the dummy and look at with, with whatever happened in the bidding. Think of what Declare's hand is. So now if you kind of have a, a decent idea of what Declare's hand is and you can see the dummy, that's 13 cards on dummy, 13 cards in your hand, You've seen half the deck and you have a pretty good idea what Declare has. You should have a pretty good idea what your partner's shape is. So that's that's a big thing. So what does it look like when you are visualizing first, just based on the bidding, what the opponents might have? Does it actually look like a hand or does it look like something else in your mind? Okay, so what does a bridge hand look, look like to you? That's my first question. Does it look like a bunch of cards? Yes. To me, it looks like a shape. So my, my telephone number in New York ends with 8311. Okay, 8311. Okay, that's my last four digits of my cell phone number. Okay, my friend Gavin Wolpert, maybe like 18 years ago, he's like, oh, that's a bridge distribution. When he heard 8311, he heard eight spades, three hearts, one cl- one diamond, one club. So if you think about your, your shape, spades, hearts, diamonds, clubs, that's how I visualize something. So if, if the person opens a diamond and rebids two clubs, I'm thinking they have five diamonds and four clubs. Maybe if they bid more later, like I'm just thinking that that slot I've got down and then let's see what happens later in the bidding. So then you've blocked off five, four, and then that leaves either two, two or three, one. Yeah, I mean, four, you're zero. just trying to, yeah, yeah, you're just trying, you're just trying to fit the other pieces together. Usually you need a little other, little something else, but you should just be thinking. You should just be thinking about it a little bit. The other one is when you have a bad result, put it behind you. Don't think about it during the next board. That's very hard. If you have to go say, sorry, I'm going to take a, a like a five-minute break and go to the bathroom, drink a little water, come back, but just put the hand behind you and be nice to your partner. Be nice to your partner is probably more important. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, thanks so much for joining us today. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much, Joe. It was terrific. Thanks. This was fun. Goodbye. Sorry, partner. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the show. Many thanks to our guest, Joe Grew. Sorry Partner is produced by Catherine Harris. 
Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Thank you also to our friend Larry Cohen. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram or send us a voice message. And please consider supporting the show. These links and a link to our merch store are under the episode description in your app, on the website, or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice or we'll call the director. Until next week, play well. May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Joe says, take time after you see the dummy to reassess what you thought you knew about the hand. Then go from there. Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.